Chapter 16 The Echoes of Battles Yet Unfought The viewpoint of a historian is that of a surveyor on a hillside overlooking a river. He can see the flow of the river and has no doubt about how it runs and why. The participants of history view the same river as would a fish, unsure where it is taking them. Our call, our guiding scholar. The first hundred steps were scaled in blind panic, fearing that Ith would break free of his cage and come after him. The second hundred were only slight less hurried. Only by the third hundred, once he had passed the area of the humming floor, did Joda start to think carefully of what he had seen and heard. The prisoner in the cage, Mirsol's teacher, Ith. Not even Shannon had mentioned the name, and perhaps it was forgotten or forbidden in the conclave. The young mage had no doubt now that this Ith was the one who brought Joda to this place. The Ragged Man. No, the Ragman, he called him, responded to Ith's commands, sought Joda out. Apparently, to have him free Ith, brought Joda to a place of security, rescued him from capture, and in doing so, allowing him to learn more magic to work directly for Lord High Mage Marisol. Ith stated, nay, shouted, that he wanted to destroy Marisol and with him the Conclave. Ith was mad, Joda considered. Perhaps he was not mad when he had first sent the Ragman out, but he was mad now. Was his talk of Marisol reaching his power madness as well? Joda paused for a moment on a landing between the narrow stairways, illuminated only by the small ball of light in his palm. Below, he could still hear the deep vibrations of whatever engines were kept beneath the citadel. Above him, he could imagine the sounds of crystal glasses clinking and laughter. Ith was mad. Maybe his own work with magic had an effect on him. As Shannon had said about the Fallen, perhaps instead of killing his insane mentor, Marisol had him locked away for his own protection. That was a possibility. Where would you put a mad wizard? Somewhere close at hand, but far enough away that he would not endanger others. With his tales of the cage leeching off his power and things from the pit, perhaps that was the safest place possible. Maybe the Ragman was some type of guard or manservant. What if Ith was not completely mad? What if everything above Joda? was built on the mine and magic of the mage held prisoner below. Marisol had built a utopia, but at the price of his teacher's sanity. What if there was something in the pit? Why was he here? Why did the Ragman select him? Out of all the hedge wizards, minor mages, and reclusive wizards in the world, he was a descendant of Jarsal. But did bloodline matter as far as magic was concerned? The Ragman appeared almost immediately when Joda gained Bosca's mirror. Was that part of it? then why didn't the ragman go after Sima instead, since she had grabbed it when the ship was attacked? No. Sima was dead, and the mirror presumably lost. Did the ragman bring him back only because he had been told to return with him, or with the man who last held the mirror? Was the ragman really working for Ith, or was he Marisol's servant? He had not freed Ith himself, nor did he stop Joda from leaving. Perhaps he could not? Joda thought of Marisol, who had encouraged Joda's work, he remembered the smiling face he first saw in the library, the rainbow mage, built of all colors, but there was the angry Marisol as well, who pounded the desk when the first experiment failed. Was Marisol mad as well? Joda's stomach tightened at that thought. No, thought Joda. Ith was deluded, perhaps seriously ill. He would ask Marisol. He would ask carefully and cautiously, but he would ask him, try to find out why Ith was truly locked in his cage. Then he would decide what to do. With a half-formed feeling of resolve, Joda started up the stairs again. There was no pursuit, 
he thought, and the ragman could have stopped him. He could have dragged him forcibly down the pit. The ragman did not. That should count for something. It had to be mad. He had to have changed over the years. Perhaps his former student has changed as well. And Ith blamed him. Everyone changes. As Ith noted, everything changes. Mountains become islands, Ith had said. Plains become forests. Joda froze on the stairs, and suddenly, he realized where he had gone wrong with his ancestor's spell. He had envisioned the land as it was now, not over two centuries before. Once, Jarsal's tower had been out among the cranberry bonds, his grandmother had said. Then, they had drained the bottomland and turned it into fields. Mountains become islands. Plains become forests. Swamps become plains. Joda smiled deeply. That was the error, of course. He was pulling the mana of the land as it was now, assuming that it had not changed. That change makes the mana in the first place, Ith had said. He was using the wrong type of mana. That was why the spell would not accept the hot, brilliant light of his white mana, and why he burned himself with that light. He should tell Marisol immediately, he thought, his gait speeding up until he was taking the stairs two at a time. Then he slowed again. If Ith was right, and it was only an if, then should he trust the Lord High Mage at all? Why did Marisol want to open a gate to another world? Joda thought of the problem as a challenge, merely a puzzle to be solved. Did the man who kept his former master in a cage beneath the castle feel the same way? Joda shook his head. He did not know, and until he did know, he would have to keep his cards close to his vest. He would gather his data together and make sure that black mana would power the spell. Only then would he tell the Lord High Mage of his work. In the meantime, who would he ask about if? Shada might know, but was avoiding Joda. Barl would definitely know, but he had crafted the cage himself, and Barl would definitely tell Marisol. Marisol would know, but Joda didn't think he would trust the Lord High Mage's answers. Not now. Slowly, Joda began his climb again to the citadel above, but the world above no longer seemed as friendly and comfortable as it once had been. The festival was going admirably well, thought Primata Delphine. There had to be several thousand people present, all right for the word of Tao. When they arrived, they found the town typical of northern communities. It had a church, of course, but it was run by a minor priest, an asthmatic relic more interested in the daily gospel and the yearly tithe than in truly maintaining the spiritual health of the community. Yet the town was perfect for her needs. It was heavily armed, owing to the proximity of barbarian tribes who were considered less than better than the goblins of the mountains. There were organized pikemen and a few knights along the several huge ballastae, which were kept in working order. Better yet, they had knowledge of the citadel and a healthy fear of the wizards within. Yes, it was a wizard's castle, and strange lights were seen there day and night. The wise shunned that place, for those who ventured there would never be seen again by mortal man. There was dim, ill-formed resentment of the wizards, just looking for the right spark to promote it to violence. The Primata would provide that spark. Using the power granted by the letter of the Lord Guardian, the Primata had opened the temple granaries and discovered, among the dried fruits and aged meats, several large casks of properly aged wine in the cellar. The old priest complained, but could not stand either against the Lord Guardian's seal or the Primata's own towering presence. Word spread quickly, and more townsfolk from the surrounding towns and villages came streaming in. Even the weather was cool, but dry, adding to their spirits. Bonfires were lit, and oxen and goats were slaughtered and roasted. The trap had been baited, thought Delphine, and the beast that was the multitude 
was already sniffing at the meat. The only thing to do was close the gate behind it and use the whip and the goad to bring it under her control. That was what they were doing now. Primata Delphine, Sister Betji, and the town priest waited behind an impromptu curtain as the preacher addressed the assembled multitudes. Bonfires crackled on all sides of the town square, but the preacher's voice thundered above it. He read from the book of Tao. He offered prayers for the dead and dying. He offered healing to the maimed and diseased. He preached against the heathen barbarians. He preached against the subhuman goblins. And he preached against the demon-dealing magicians. In particularly, he preached against the magicians. Primata Delphine knew the preacher's patter. Each story, each parable, each prayer would lead the assembled multitude to the irrevocable point that one cannot suffer a magician to live, that the wizards of the citadel were in a league with the barbarians, that they were stealing sons and daughters to sacrifice to their unknown gods. With each doubling back, the crowd got angrier, more drunken, and more determined to eradicate the threat of these evil hellspawn wizards. The old priest next to her sniffed and said, All that food wasted in one celebration. The primata ignored him, but Sister Betsy said, Used in the better cause of the church. Better to feed the people now than to let it rot in your granaries. We would use that grain in the winter, in early spring, wheezed the old priest. When the snows are heavy and the harbor is frozen over, you have stripped us bare. We will have too little food for many mouths in a few months. You will likely have fewer months to worry about in a few days, thought Primata Delphine, a smile tugging at the corner of her lips. I have heard the tales that these wizards have great vaults beneath their citadels, and they eat the finest meals there. Have you not heard such tales? prompted the primata. The priest hesitated for a moment, then admitted that he indeed heard such stories. You let these mages survive while your church was forced to hoard its food? said the primata. Perhaps some of that food came from the wizards themselves. That wine came from a far distance, good father. Could magic have delivered it to your door? The priest said nothing. Beyond their makeshift divider, the preacher was shouting a responsive reading. The voices bellowed back at him and prevented any real reply from the town priest. The preacher was working them up to a fever pitch, thought the primata, weaving his particular form of miracles among them. He could have them lusting for wizard's blood. Every problem in their lives, real or imagined, was the wizard's fault. The barbarians, the goblins, the smut that blighted the crops this past year, the lack of merchants, the dishonesty of merchants who did show up. Yes, it was all the wizard's fault. At the proper moment, the preacher would step aside and announce Primata Delphine. She would step up, shout a few choice words from the Book of Tao, and then call for a crusade, a holy war she would invoke against the evil beings in the tower. Any man, woman, or boy who joined their crusade would be guaranteed both salvation and a portion of the treasure the wizards undoubtedly held in their subterranean vaults. Of course, the lion's share would be taken back south along with any contraband majory to be studied and then destroyed. What did you see, sister? said the primata. Sister Betsy shifted uneasily. I see nothing with my portents and rituals, but from the sounds I hear, I have no doubt you will soon be commanding a mighty army against these wizards. I have no doubt either, said the primata. Beyond their curtain, the preacher had reached the height of a sermon, 
and the crowd was bellowing in response. I have a doubt or two, said the old priest, but the primata pretended not to hear him. The preacher called her name, and she parted the curtains, followed by Sister Betsy and the priest. The assembled crowds bellowed with one voice as she appeared, and she raised her hands to bless the multitudes and accept their undying loyalty. Jodah returned to his quarters, but found sleep would still not come. Of course he had nagging doubts about Marisol and Ith, but was now also assailed by a new conviction. He had been using the wrong type of mana. He rose, lit the lamp with a word, and went to his desk to review his notes. That was when he discovered that he was missing his recording scarab. Jodah winced. He had set it up to take notes of the summoning, but in his haste to leave and avoid Marisol's wrath, he left it behind in the Lord High Mage's study. Jodah frowned. He could use those notes now to remember fully what he and Marisol had said and to track the course of the ritual from start to finish. He could go in the morning for the notes, or perhaps ask Barl. Or he could go himself, right now. Jodah slipped out into the hall. The eternal lights in their sconces continued to flicker in imitation of true flame. He quietly made his way through the halls, but at this early morning hour, the place was as silent as a tomb. At last, he came to the jet-black door of Marisol's study. Jodah paused for a moment, looking around and half-expecting Barl to manifest himself in a puff of warm air, but there was no one but himself. Jodah tried the door, but it was locked. He let out a long breath of relief. Now he would be spared the risk of being caught. He would have to wait for morning, after all. He looked at the golden icon that marked the door. The door had been locked before and had opened at his touch. Jodah grimaced and touched the icon. The bolt popped open, and the door swung inward slightly. Jodah cursed himself, looking around again for the omnipresent borrow. There was no sign of the artificer. Jodah slipped into the study. It was empty. The debris from the experiment of the previous evening, a lifetime ago, was still scattered around the area. The calendar of stone and metal whirred and chipped to itself in the corner, bathing the room in a cascade of ever-changing light. Motes of blue, green, and amber light hovered like fireflies in the room and dipped and danced among the bookshelves and tapestries. Jodah found the recording scarab and the three sheets he had left them. All three sheets were inscribed with neat, angular letters, his own words in black, Marisol's in red. Jodah did not remember talking that much during the experiment, though without setting a lamp, he could not read it in the flickering light of the calendar. There was a sound from the hallway. Jodah pocketed the scarab and folded the parchment sheets, shoving them into his vest. He raced for the door and stepped into the hallway. He closed the door behind him as quietly as possible. Yes, there were voices and footsteps approaching. He looked around for some place to hide, but this part of the hallway was bare of large objects. Finally, he did the only thing he could do. He turned his back on the approaching voices and turned on the knocking door to Marisol's study, the one he had just left. Friend Jodah, said the Lord High Mage. You are up early this morning. Jodah turned and saw Marisol and Barl. The Lord High Mage was smiling, though Barl had a suspicious look. Jodah shrugged and looked embarrassed. I couldn't sleep after what happened, he said. I thought I would come and help clean up the mess. Marisol favored him with a wide smile, and for the first time, Jodah thought about how that made the Lord High Mage look like a wolf. Ah, such dedication, he said, slapping Barl on the back. 
This is what we need more here at the Conclave. Dedication. Initiative. Loyalty. All admirable traits, said Barl, looking hard at Joda. Indeed, said Mirasol. But don't worry about cleaning up. I'll have the servants take care of it all. That's why we have servants, after all. Have you given any thought to our results? Joda thought of the revelation of the cranberry box, but instead shook his head. I wonder if it was something I did, or the timing, or some outside influence. Mirsel raised a hand. Tut, what you need is rest, young friend. The mind works best when it's fully rested. His smile disappeared into a thin line. Though I do appreciate your concern, lesser mages might just walk away without reflecting on what happened. An experiment is a failure only if one refuses to learn anything from it. Yes, sir, said Joda, then added quickly, Yes, friend Mersel. He looked at Barl, and the artificer's brows had pulled together so that the shorter man was almost scowling. Good, said Mersel, patting Joda on the back. Think about what happened here, and get back to me. We'll try again, once you have things worked out. Joda bowed slightly and started away, but Mersel called out. One last thing, he said. I need you for one other task. Joda turned and said, Whatever you need me for, friend Mersel, I shall do my best. The smile returned, and it seemed very much to Joda to be a wolf's smile. You're going to have to learn a few spells in the next few days, Mersel said. I need you to fight a duel for me.